Good morning. Thank you for listening to our 10 o'clock sermon. I am Stephen Azera, the teaching pastor here at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, Today's lesson is on chapter 24 of the Baptist Confession, uh, the civil government. And we're going to begin reading in Romans chapter 13, uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. The scripture says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And then in the Baptist Confession, chapter 24, paragraph 1, It says, God, the supreme Lord and King of the whole world, has ordained civil authorities to be under him and over the people for his own glory and the public good. For this purpose, he has armed them with the power of the sword to defend and encourage those who do good and to punish evildoers. According to the confession and the scripture, God's sovereign control extends over the spiritual and the material world. It would be contra-scripture and contra-confessional if you restrict God's sovereignty exclusively to the spiritual realm. That would be a major blow to your worldview. God is not merely sovereign over the spiritual realm. He's sovereign over all things, including the systems of the world. And this is what many Christians do not understand about sovereignty. You know, you ask any Christian, is God sovereign over everything? Yeah, he's sovereign over everything. Well, is he sovereign over redemption? Well, no, because, you know, we, we have the freedom to choose if we want to be saved. If that's your definition of sovereignty, then God is not sovereign because sovereign is complete control. So if you believe God is sovereign over all things, then whatever the thing is, God is sovereign over it since he is sovereign over all things. And this includes the things of the spiritual realm 
and the materialistic world, the physical realm. The Baptist Confession says, God, the Supreme Lord and King of the whole world, He has ordained civil authorities to be under Him and over the people for His glory and for our good. When the scripture says that God ordains the government, it means that God has set the government into order. The Lord determines the government's position or the government's rank in his worldly system. God assigns the government certain responsibilities and the Lord directs the government as he pleases. So the entire government don't matter the country, don't matter the era in which the government existed, if the government is, in fact, a government, it is subject to God's power, it is subject to God's direction, and it is subject to God's righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean the government is perfect in all that it does. Although God has ordained the government, it doesn't mean that he's always pleased with everything that the government does. It doesn't mean that God will always bless the government, no matter what the government does. Appointment by God or instituted by God doesn't always mean having peace with God. Does Local authority or the uh, civil authority can sin against the Lord. And when it does, the Lord will hold the government accountable. Well, who does the Lord appoint to hold the government accountable to his righteousness? The church. The church should publicly call the government to repentance. When the government acts contrary to its design, it is the church's responsibility to admonish and to correct those who are serving in the government. So yes, when the government commands the church to not meet, when the government commands the church to not preach certain doctrines, the church should not only disobey, but also call the government to repentance. Christ commands the church to preach the gospel, and this includes calling sinners to repentance, even those who serve in the government. God ordains both the church and the state. Both of these institutions have their own Separate responsibilities. The church should never wield the sword. And the government should never interfere with the church. But although these two institutions, the church and the state, are different, there can be some association. What is the association? Members of the church can serve in the government. The Baptist Confession says in paragraph 2, Christians may lawfully accept and carry out the duties of public office when they're called to do so. 
In performing their office, they must especially maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom or other political entity. In Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist was preaching near the Jordan River, he was calling men to faith and repentance. The soldiers asked him, what shall we do? Meaning, now that we have repented of our sins and we have come to faith, we've been baptized, should we no longer serve as soldiers? What do you want us to do? Would serving as soldiers contradict the gospel message? And John says to them, no, but this is what you should do. Don't quit serving in the government, but instead change the way that you serve. Don't extort money from another person by threats. Don't falsely accuse people. Be content with your wages, John answers them. In Psalm chapter 82, verses 1 through 4, the scripture says, God has taken place in his divine counsel. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. The book of of Psalms in chapter 82 uh, whole, uh, pictures a scene where God is sitting in the midst of those who have civil authority. And God instructs them what to do. To do good. To seek justice. To show mercy. God's justice is carried out on the earth through the government. Especially Men and women of faith who serve in the government. The office of the civil authority is not so worldly that Christians should not participate in. It is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of civil authority. If God calls you to serve, then you serve faithfully. We should not reject involvement in civil matters. We are to accept them. So it's not sinful for a Christian to serve in the government. We are to influence the government. We are to maintain justice and peace. When Christians work in the government, they should bring their Christian convictions with them to work. There are many examples of believers who are involved in pagan governments in Scripture. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were involved in a pagan government. Nehemiah, who would later become the governor of Judea, before he became governor, he was a cupbearer in Persia. These wise men influenced their pagan governments and they used the principles of God's word. They used God's righteousness as the standard of their service and God blessed their endeavors. We shouldn't only concern our things with, 
our mind with heavenly things. We should be concerned with earthly things as well. We are in the world, not of the world. We are to live in the world. We are to be light. To the world. And Christians can influence the world through their service in the local government. Earlier I mentioned that the church and state have separate responsibilities. What are the state's responsibilities? What's the responsibility of the government? According to Romans chapter 13, the state has two main responsibilities. The first responsibility, the government must establish laws in accordance with God's divine will. The government must establish laws according to God's divine word. Abortion, unlawful marriages, any other religion other than the Christian religion, abominations. Abominations. Uh, earlier this week, I listened to a sermon from John MacArthur. Uh, he recently taught, uh, he recently preached a sermon on religious freedom. And Dr. MacArthur made a comment that quickly went viral and, and a lot of churches disagree with what MacArthur said. He said that he's against religious freedom. And he's right. The United States government or any government in the world should only recognize the Christian faith as the one true religion. I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but this is the fact. Any other religion is outside of God's divine will. Any other religion is outside of God's divine word. And if the government is instituted by God and it's acting responsibly and faithful to God, what's that government going to do? It's going to establish only the one true religion, the one religion that is revealed in scripture as the national religion. And any other person who worships any other God besides the one true God should be punished. That's, that's scripture. It's wicked to worship any other God besides the one true God. And according to the Apostle Paul, what is the responsibility of the government to establish righteousness, to Reward those who do good and to punish the wicked. Isn't, isn't Mormonism wicked? Isn't Islam? Isn't atheism? Isn't uh, Jehovah's Witness? Aren't those wicked religions? 100%. And so Christians should only defend religious freedom concerning the one true religion, meaning is the Christian faith should be established as the only religion that Americans should be free to practice. That's, guys, that's, that's idolatry 101, man. It's a responsibility of a government that God has ordained. You think God has established government to allow men and women to worship another God?
What are you drinking if you believe that's true? The government's first responsibility is to establish laws in accordance with God's divine will and his word. Unlawful marriages, abortion, religions beside the Christian faith are all contra God's word. All of it. The second responsibility of the government is to punish evildoers and to reward the righteous. That's the two responsibilities. And when the government faithfully executes its function in the world, guess what? God is glorified. God is glorified. When the government establishes the Christian faith as the only religion in the world, God is glorified. Obviously, we don't need to go into that. We, we know that. When we gather together on Sunday morning and we worship the Lord, aren't we, isn't God glorified? Of course. Can you imagine if the whole world glorified God? Worship the Lord? And so when the government performs their office and executes their office according to what they are uh, commanded to do by God and what they are instituted to do and ordained to do, God is glorified. God is glorified. Now, this is the context in which the apostles are using This is the context the apostles are using when they instruct the church to submit to the government. Christians should not, should not obey the government when the government commands us to disobey God. Never, never. If the government commands us to disobey God or if the government keeps us from obeying the Lord, It is our responsibility to disobey the government. And not only that, we are to call them out. We are to call them out. We are to address them. We are to call them to repentance because they are abusing the authority that God gave them. Their responsibility is not to punish the righteous but to punish the wicked. And so the church has a responsibility to obey the Lord. And and each church, each local church with a local body of believers, they're left up to their own conscience. Meaning is my church, the church that I pastor with the elders that I serve with, do not... uh, try to uh, instruct another church according to their conscience. Each church is left to their own conscience, pertaining to things that are not explicitly said in the Bible. Now, obviously, if if a church up the street uh, is is disobeying the Lord by supporting abortion industry, by supporting Planned Parenthood, if a church is giving a part of their their funds to the local Planned Parenthood, then yes, the church should be called out for that. What I'm talking about are things like if a church practices grape juice or wine for communion. 
It's not my responsibility at my church and the elders of my church to correct another church's conscience when it comes to things that are not explicit. And so each church is left up to her own conscience. And that also means the government stays out of it too. If, if my church stays out of it, you most certainly believe the government should stay out of it. For the past several years, the government has really overstepped her boundaries. The government has interfered with the church's obedience to God. And the government is in sin for doing it. The government, when it comes to the church's function, should mind her own business and not interfere with the church. When it comes to church discipline, the government should not interfere. Now, there are some egregious sins that the church should certainly involve the civil authority. There are some egregious sins where the elders of the church should notify the local authorities. And we know what those egregious sins are. Sins that are of crimes. But when the sins involve church discipline and matters of faith, the government should not interfere. That means mandatory vaccinations, closing churches, influencing a parent's decision on how to educate their children. The government should not interfere. Because God has not appointed the government to interfere in the institution of the home or in the institution of the church. The, the, the institutions that God has ordained in the world, marriage, church, the Christian faith, and the home, these institutions should, should be protected by the government, not abused. They should not be manipulated or abused. And so the government should protect the marriages, churches, the Christian faith, and the home from any kind of wickedness, from any kind of uh, evildoer. According to scripture, the government punishes the evildoer. And in what way? By being a terror to them. The punishments for crime should be severe. That they cause men to fear breaking the law. Is that what we have in our country today? Not even close. Now, the government is not going to eliminate every crime because the country is full of sinners. But can you imagine how much the, the, the murder rate would decrease if the government executed murderers on the spot? As soon as they were found guilty of the crime, instead of sitting in death row, instead of sitting in years in prison, but that the government would, would wield the sword and execute murders, what do you think the crime rate would be for murder? Certainly drop. But that's not what the government does. It, it, it's almost as if the government caters to wicked men. 
but is quick, quick to rebuke or try to rebuke the church. Notice the scripture says in chapter 13, Romans 13, 3, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. That's not the case right now. Rulers should be, according to God's word, they should be a terror to bad conduct. They should not be a terror to good conduct. But right now it's the church that has a healthy fear of the government. And it's not reverence, right? It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not like we admire or revere the government. No, we fear what the government will try to mandate next because the government is working against us. The wicked certainly do not fear the government. But according to scripture, they should. And again, this is the context in which the apostles are instructing the church to submit to the government. The context isn't submit to the government no matter what, but the government that is properly wielding the sword, punishing wicked men, is is good to the righteous. This is the government you should submit to. Just because they're pagan doesn't mean you shouldn't submit to them. If they execute, wielding the sword, protecting the righteous, you have nothing to fear if they do that. But that's not what's going on, is it? Remember when the apostles were refused to preach the gospel, when they were restricted? What did they do? Did the government just go home and stay home? Or did the apostles go home and stay home? No. They obeyed God rather than man. They continue to preach the gospel. The Baptist Confession says in paragraph three, because civil authorities are established by God for the purposes stated, we should submit to them and the Lord in everything lawful that they require. We should submit not only for fear of punishment, but also for the sake of conscience and everything lawful. So even a pagan government, if they institute a lawful mandate, the church should submit to that. But only if it's lawful. The church should never submit to unlawful and unjust laws because submitting to unlawful and unjust laws will require us to disobey the Lord. And we rather obey God than man. And so in scripture, when you read passages like Romans chapter 13, and the apostle Paul tells us to submit to the government, he's writing under a very specific context that these Christians living under a pagan government, that if that pagan government establishes a lawful mandate they should obey that mandate. And that's Paul's context. It's not obey the government no matter what, because if you read the book of Acts, you see that the apostles didn't do that. They didn't obey the government no matter what. They obeyed the government 
when the government established lawful justice. And that's the context. The scripture and the confessions teach that a Christian should submit to the government when the government institutes or establishes lawful laws, not unlawful. We should submit to them. But there is also a second responsibility that Christians have to the local government, and that is a commitment to prayer, a commitment to uh, preach the gospel to them, a commitment to hold them accountable to God's divine will and God's divine word. We should, if the government, a member of the government comes to saving faith, we should baptize him or her and welcome them into the body of the church. The church should never try to wield the sword. We should never try to exact the death penalty in the church for sins. And so the, the church even has her boundaries that she cannot cross. And the government certainly does as well. She has her boundaries. The government is not permitted to interfere in the life of the church. But that's exactly what we see in our country today, and it's getting worse. The government is interfering in the church's life. It should have been left up to the church the whole COVID pandemic, it, it, cost, it caught all of us by surprise. I, I don't know a, a single church that handled that perfectly. Our church didn't handle it perfectly, but we did our best according to our conscience. Not according to the government's laws, unlawful laws. They're unjust laws. But according to our conscience, what we believe the scripture teaches, what we believe God has revealed in his word. And that's that separation of church and state. And that's what the Bible and certainly the Baptist Confession teaches.